Hello, I'm Ricky. And I'm Joe, and this is Season 6, Episode 14 of the Beer and Broadband Podcast, slated to come out on October 9th, 2023. And today, we're going to talk about some retro gaming, physical media being discontinued, and a pumpkin caramel imperial um, beer. It's uh, not an imperial stout. It is uh, just an imperial. So I I think it's an imperial lager. Um, But it is from Southern Tier Brewing. It's 8.6% ABV. And the only thing that they really have on this bottle is rule on caramel. Uh, they don't really have anything else about like any you know wording or anything like that, so we're just going to get straight into talking about it. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's not bad. It's not my favorite. I don't like it as much as the one we just had in last episode. Mm. Um, the caramel flavor is very pronounced, yeah. but it's also a little bit artificially. Yeah, like just the way it it lingers around. Like I took my last hit maybe thirty seconds ago, I still can like taste the caramel in my nose, sort of deal that mm-hmm. you get with a lot of like extract. I'm not sure I'd place the pumpkin, but it is like it, it's a well-crafted beer. Carbonation's good. It's smooth enough. It's not the smoothest I've ever had, but it's not bad. And the, I mean, the caramel is definitely there. I feel like you can get some people who are maybe not big beer people to drink this, mm. like because the sweetness is there. That it's very pronounced caramel. Because you introduced yeah. it to me earlier, so it's, it's another pumpkin beer. So I taste this like man, this. I'm not sure this tastes a whole lot like pumpkin, <laughs> you know, but it's definitely got like all those sweetness and the richness, the pumpkin spice, maybe caramel. And then you say the caramel. Like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So like the flavors it's discussing, like the, what it's advertising to you is what you're getting. Right. You know, this is very much a caramel beer. Um, but I think I would not, I wouldn't be tempted to buy like a six pack of this regularly. I it's agree not with bad, that. but it's not, you know, it's it's nothing as someone who now drank hundreds of beers and things like that for this podcast over the years. Um, I don't think this is one of the ones that'd be like I'm going to remember that one. I agree with that also. Uh, so this this beer is I don't know if it's an artificial flavor or they just added like you know like liquid caramel to the um, to the brew after it, it had finished fermenting and then like kind of you know killed the uh, the mm-hmm. ability for the yeast to eat the caramel or if it's like a a caramel thing that's made with non-fermentable sugar which you can kind of do oh that. maybe yeah you caramelize something else yeah. yeah exactly but it's the flavors there like you said i do get the pumpkin mm-hmm. um especially on the nose like when i breathe it in i can taste the pumpkin i like in that kind of retro breath um but it's it it's a weird thing i normally really like pumpkin stuff a whole lot like i like pumpkin lattes i like pumpkin things like that i don't really mind the flavor of this on the nose and the flavor of this on the tongue like Mm -hmm. that smell flavor you get when you breathe something in but you can also kind of taste it i everything's good there for me Mm -hmm. what's really throwing me off with this beer and this would be for somebody so it's just not my thing Mm -hmm. is it's like an ipa level of bitterness for me so like i get that kind of grassy note that ipas get even though it's not an ipa Mm -hmm. you know i don't i don't think that's that's the situation um but it it kind of the the hops they use for this reminds me of that like brings that back out and those flavors just don't go with what yeah I'm i can see here. that because it's it's very sweet at the front but you're right that sweetness doesn't stick around so you right. are stuck with kind of the bitter from the hops like over the rest of the duration right so like now 
probably been a minute since my last sip, something like that. You're right. All I can taste really is kind of the bitter and the beer part. The right. caramel and the pumpkin is not really there anymore. And it, well, so there are some moments where it keeps coming back. So like I'll I'll sit here and it's like bitter, and that's there, just like mm-hmm. like what we're talking about right now. And then I'll take a certain breath, and like it's like it's in my nose or something, and okay. it comes back. So I think it it's it's a very interesting beer. If you like pumpkin stuff, you should try it once. Um, I prefer the pumpkin. You remember that one mm-hmm. that we had last year? I prefer that one to this one. Um, and if I was going to pick up a pumpkin beer that I didn't make, that would be probably be the one I'd pick up. Yeah. Um, but for those who have tried this and love it, I'd love to hear what they have to say about it because it's a not a terrible beer. Or anything no, like it's that. not a bad beer. I mean, I would even say it's above average. Like it's not like it's middle of the road. Right. You know, it it just it's a very unique flavor. With the, like, it's bitter but also sweet. Yeah. And I think that sweetness will get a lot. Of, like, I think I could get my wife to drink one of these. Probably. I don't think I could get her to buy a six-pack. But, like, if if we were out to dinner and this showed up, I wouldn't have to swap drinks with her. Yeah. You know? But at the same time, she probably wouldn't order it again. Yeah. It's a one. It, for me, it's a one-time experience. And I got mm-hmm. a four-pack of them, so I'm going to have to drink the other three. Yeah. You know, I'll probably be trying to give them to other people. Um but, I mean, you know, like I said, some people would love this beer. Uh, it's a very well-made beer. It's just not the one that I would particularly pick up off the store shelf. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the Retroid Pocket 2S mm-hmm. versus the Pocket 2 Plus. I don't have a Pocket 2. The, these are all iterations by Retroid. Something I didn't know until recently, Retroid and Ein are open are owned by the same company. So, like, the okay. Ein Odin and things like that, mm-hmm. Retroid handhelds, which I did back the Ein Odin too. Uh, so we'll be getting that eventually. I don't know that I'm going to keep all these retro retro mm-hmm. handhelds. I'm probably going to start selling them off at some point in time because I have way too many. Oh yeah, yeah. Or giving them to people for like presents or something. Mm. Um, but all that said, I I feel like I didn't think that there the Retroid Pocket Three Plus. I like that. It's like kind of fun. It wasn't the kind of like leap forward I was looking for in terms of certain areas in a gaming handheld yeah this though might be it but before i start saying why i'd love to hear your thoughts on the pocket 2s first your experience just playing mm-hmm. like horizon zero chase and kind of like having just like a, a moment with it yeah so the one with the the sliding joystick that's the pocket sides. 2 plus that's plus. the older one okay yeah. Really, I thought there was a new one that had the the magnetic sticks everywhere. Oh, no, and that's the, the one that trigger. has the the new one has the magnetic s- sticks everywhere. Yeah, yeah. The one that you're holding in your hand is the yeah. older one. Yeah, yeah. And this is the I gotta look at it. This is the plus. This is the t- two plus. Yes. Two plus. Okay. Yeah. This tells you how well I know the names for things. <laughs> but I really uh, preferred the newer form factor. Okay. I think the gaming experience in terms of how well they were performing was very similar. I'm not sure I would be able to pick up much of a difference there. Yeah. Uh, at least bit, with the games I played. A little bit of improved performance on games with the 2S. It's got like a iteration. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so the S, I, I could see that. I didn't really play exactly super demanding games on it. But the form factor of the device, I liked much better. The actual triggers you can pull. The, I liked the sticks a lot better. The... Even the buttons, yeah. I liked the feel of more. So, like, me sitting here not owning either one of them, I think it's a very clear choice that I would buy the newer one, the S. 
if I already owned though the other one, I'm not 100% sure I would upgrade just for those. Mm. But I think if you're someone looking to get one for the first time, it's a very easy decision. Yeah. You know, the price difference does not really justify, you know, not just going with the better experience. It's probably going to last longer too. Yeah, the the 2 Plus, you, I don't think you can buy anymore, but it was like $100. And yeah. this one's like 130 Yeah. Yeah. For 30 bucks, that's a that's a no-brainer, I think. Now, I would argue that over the Retroid Pocket 3 Plus, uh, which is a slightly more powerful device, mm-hmm. that this is the better device to get. And uh, like even if you own both those other things, like you mm-hmm. should just sell the other two and get this. Get this one, Take yeah. your S- SD card out. And the reason for that is the triggers. The, the the two thumbsticks and the triggers, but the three plus already has two thumbsticks, mm-hmm. so you can play a lot more games on this, and play games that take advantage of like trigger input and things yeah. like that. Now it's not always perfect, it's not great, but because you don't have a uh, clicky trigger or mm-hmm. like a an analog, um, I mean a, a digital trigger. So it's not on or off. It's analog, so it's gradient. Yeah. You actually get the ability to do things like rapid fire or um, do something where you pr- press lightly to shoot once and then pull full to go mm. like auto or something yeah, like yeah. that. Those are improvements that we've had in video gaming for so long, and it's one of my biggest complaints about like the Nintendo Switch. The gaming experience on something like the Steam Deck or the ROG Ally or something mm-hmm. like that, you know, one of those other things, is so much better because you do have those analog um, inputs where you can have that gradient of interaction with the video game. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I, and there's even outside of actual like programmatic difference like you were saying you know hey a light pull is like one shot pulling it all the way that's full auto those definitely exist in games but i i don't know if i want to call it like spiritually or emotionally having the trigger is so nice because it can just play into your input so well yeah um for example i'm i'm playing starfield right now there was a particular mission where it was like a gonna be a you can stealth your way through, or you can charm your way through, or you can fight your way through. Right. And I didn't know that at the time. I thought it was like you could only charm your way through because of how um, many enemies it looked like you would have to fight if you just tried to go full in. And, like, I failed my, my speech checks, and the person I failed my speech checks to was a little bit mean. And I was just there lightly pulling the gun trigger with it aimed at their head. It's like... I'm not pulling it hard enough to actually shoot yet, but like I'm right there. I'm ready. I could go two more millimeters yep. and I'd shoot it. And like you don't get to have those experiences where you're like literally finger on the trigger on the edge. Yep. Um, when it's just a click button. Right. You know? Exactly. You either uh, are or you aren't. Not the like, oh, well, I mean, I guess if it just happens to go off, <laughs> I can fight my way through. Which ultimately I had to anyway. That, that's exactly the point, though, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it gives you more choice. It gives you more interaction with the game that you're playing. Uh, a lot of older games don't support those sort of things, so it doesn't really matter if you're doing retro gaming so much. Yeah. But when you start, like, looking at, like, newer Android games or something like that, Horizon Zero Chase is a perfect example of that. You have a throttle. It's not a gas pedal on or off. Mm-hmm. You When you pull that trigger, it will throttle up and so you can do things like braking and stuff like that more controlled yeah um so racing games you know 
why else would you not do that, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I just, I, I'm more impressed with that, and that's something I've had on my wish list for a handheld that's this size for a couple of years. Ever since, like, I got a Switch, my biggest complaint was the Joy-Cons don't have an analog input. Now, most Switch games don't require that, right? Yeah. But there are other games that are on the Switch that can take advantage of that that just don't because you don't have analog inputs, right? Yeah. Or they'll put them in, but you can only use them when you got the Pro Controllers. If right, you have that. exactly, yeah. exactly. So it's it's just, it's not worth it's not worth it to me to keep the older slider style joystick and the digital inputs on a console like this when it does have the ability to play up to or um, or a lot of the games that can take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I mean, it's a good argument. You yeah. know. It'll be dependent a little bit on what type of retro games you like to play. Like yeah. if you're playing just a bunch of like Game Boy games and stuff, it's probably not as important. But, like, yeah, if you're, like, emulating PlayStation games, things like that, you know, you're right. There could be some, per, like, not just performance of you playing, but actually just mechanically, there's more things you can take advantage of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I I think especially, like, if you like racing games that mm-hmm. are in a 4 by 3 aspect ratio. Yeah, I mean, that's a great that, point. Yeah. yeah. This is, like, the handheld for you to get. And I kind of don't play racing games like Driver and stuff like that because – or. Or like GTA Driver, stuff like that, that mm-hmm. were like older PlayStation, PlayStation 2 titles, stuff like that. I don't play them as much on these handhelds that don't have those because it's so hard to control stuff. Yeah. But now, I can. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I'm kind of looking forward to being able to, like, actually get back into some of my old um, PlayStation 1 games, yeah, PlayStation yeah. 2 games that took advantage of those things. There are far fewer PlayStation 1 games, though. Um, yeah, so... Uh, from a so I, I guess the conclusion is we both agree that you should get this if you're getting a new one, right? Yeah, absolutely. What we did, what we would kind of disagree on is maybe whether or not you should replace your existing one. Yeah, I think that comes down to just what games you like to play. Right, right. There are definitely games that would benefit from the newer version. Yeah. But you know, if you're if when you're playing retro games, you're playing really old games it's like i grew up with a nintendo entertainment system yeah if that's all you're playing you're not gonna i mean apart i mean there's still some good build quality things yeah. if you wanted to upgrade there i mean you still should because there's like you know better sticks and better other i like the buttons a lot better yeah you know, just in general but you know you're not gonna your game's not gonna play differently right really. yeah that's true so it's it's a personal decision you have to make but you know all the same if you're interested in it, it's a good can- it's a good console. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been using it for a couple of weeks, just sitting on the couch or, you know, popping it out to just play something every now and then, and it's a it's a really good good console. Yeah. So, ending on depressing note again, let's talk about physical media. Yeah, I saw that on. The, I didn't know that was a thing until I saw it in the notes. Yeah. So Disney has ended distributing physical media, or like really purchasable media now mm-hmm. they're trying to go more towards like streaming in asia specifically in australia from yeah. what i read on the uh announcement and from what i read in the articles that mm-hmm. i read about it so my thought process on this is uh, well not number one l- let me lay a couple of grounds for things that i understand as um what 
streaming or buying a digital purchase means. Mm -hmm. Streaming is just you having it available on the demand of the company that provides it for you. Yeah. Digital pur purchases are almost the same thing. They're a lease, not a purchase. You don't actually own the title, so you don't you don't have the ability to use it unless it's DRM unlocked. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can't transfer it to another service or anything like that. It's locked to that service and it's leased from that service. And if they decide to get rid of the title, your lease could expire and they could revoke that lease. They've done that with digital books. They've done that with other digital titles mm -hmm. that are on platforms, streaming platforms. They can just turn something off if they decide it's not profitable and safe space. And then you don't have access to that even anymore, even if you're one of the people that love that. Yeah. Right. So question for you, being someone that, I mean, you're sitting here in my office and you look mm -hmm. around and you see all the physical media that I have in here. Like behind me, I have like 700, 800 CDs, mm -hmm. right? How do you feel about that kind of thing? And does that make you want to start getting some physical media of your favorite things, knowing that if it started there, it's probably coming to America eventually? Yeah, I mean, it probably will at some point. Uh, it makes sense kind of starting in places like Australia because it's very hard to get physical objects shipped there mm -hmm. for a good price. I'll say I'm not a big fan of the I'm going to pay full price for a movie. I'm paying like 16 bucks for a movie or however much they sell it for, 20 30 whatever. And it's still got some level of DRM. Right. If you don't want to ship physical media to me anymore, I understand that. But I need to be able to, if I want, be able to put that on physical media myself. Right. You know, if I wanted to have it on a, a Blu-ray or something, I could burn it to a Blu-ray. Or I can just have a file I know that was never really going to go away. I can back it up somewhere and it'll be all right. Yeah. Um, I'm not a fan of this. I'm going to sell you the file, but then it's also going to be mine to be able to take away later. Yeah. Because at that point, that's just streaming with extra steps. Yep. You know, it's like, oh, well, you know. You don't have to pay me five ninety nine every month. You can just buy the thing you want for thirty, but I'll still take it away when I want. You're right. So it's like it's all the downside of streaming, with none of the upsides. Of at least I'm getting a huge catalog. Right. You know. So yeah, I'm not a huge fan of that. I'm not sure it'll make me go out and buy physical media, but I think I am much more likely to do what I used to do when I was younger, where I would go buy the thing that was DRM locked. And then also then feel it's okay to go find a copy that is not DRM, not DRM locked, locked. And that's my copy. You so know? you moved on to my next thing. Does putting on a pirate hat at this point, <laughs> sailing the high seas, I, I haven't done make it some yet. sense? Yeah, I mean, I haven't done it yet. But I feel like that is the direction people are getting pushed. Yeah. That it is going to become harder and harder to, if you want to actually own something, not do something like that. So philosophically, I feel like this is important to us because entertainment is like a way to get stress relief. Mm -hmm. It's also a shared experience, right? right? It's like I want my daughter to be able to watch the movies I grew up with. Yeah, absolutely. You know? So shared experience, stress relief, things like that. But we make it out like as a society and the movie companies and all these other places, the mm -hmm. writers and all that stuff – it is so important. It's almost like breathing. And as a person who has created art and tried to be a fairly successful artist and or, or tried to be successful at creating art and selling it and things like yeah. that, 
I do understand wanting to get paid, understanding that it's important to you, but the reality of it is I can still grow food and breathe without that. And I can sing a song to myself to entertain myself. You know, I can mm-hmm. like make, I can write a story and, and share it with my child and they have a shared experience with me about that. Now, do I think that there's no value in, in media and, and songs and music? I mean, obviously I think I do. You're sitting in an office here while we record yeah. this podcast that is full of like every knickknack and other things like that. But it's also like while I've spent a lot of money on those things, I think the collective value of all those things is probably less than two mortgage payments that I pay on my house. You know, mm-hmm. uh, if, if we take out the consoles and the gaming computers yeah. and stuff like that, that might be 10 mortgage payments on my house. Still a significant amount of money for someone who's poor. Oh, well, that sounded like I was saying the poors don't get it. No, that's not what I meant. <laughs> it's a significant amount of money for someone who can't afford to buy things. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm fortunate to be in a place where I can spend money on things like that. I also spend money on other things, you know, um, that are less about me entertaining myself. Um, but the, the thing that I think comes out of this that's the real concerning thing is they've made it super important. They've made laws to punish you for taking their things and now they're going to make it so that they can just take it away from you whenever they want to to try to force you to buy the new thing that they want which is relatively evil (laughs) i mean mean, you know what it really comes down to is it's such a weird i guess just idea of i'm going to sell you something you're going to own it it's going to be in your hands it's going to be on your computer but I've got some server that's going to say at some point you can't run it anymore. Right. When, like, that is so easy to circumvent in the case of songs and music. Right. Like, when you put really complicated DRM into, like, video games or pieces of software, it's like, okay, yeah, to decouple that DRM, that that's difficult. But a movie you just you put it in full screen and you start a screen and audio capture (laughs) and then once the movie's done playing wow i've got a copy of that movie right you know songs are even easier you only have to capture the audio and it's like the those tools are free they're available they're easy to use so even just ignoring pirating i can buy your movie and in very little effort, have a copy of it that doesn't have DRM on it. So why are you even doing that? But I think that's the reason that they're doing that, because they're trying to, they see this as a problem where they're not getting profits for the copies that are created of their movies. And they deserve that. They deserve the you know $75 that you should be paying over the lifetime of this movie, and they need to increase that revenue. That's important to make sure that their CEO shows off the extra yacht collection he has. That's how they keep up with things. It's just even like, think about in the grand scheme of things, how you enforce anything like this. You want to say, okay, if if you're making copies and selling it of my movie, that's bad. 100%. I can see that. You shouldn't, if Pixar makes a movie and I burn 50 DVDs, I shouldn't be able to go walk around and just sell 50 copies of this movie that they get nothing out of. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody, I think, can agree on that. 
But as soon as you're in the point where it's like, okay, but the solution I'm putting in to prevent that has some sort of callback home that eventually won't be there anymore. And now you, as the user, can't have it anymore. That doesn't make sense. Yeah, 100%. It would, it would make way more sense to like, okay, I'm going to sell you a digital movie and it's just got a security layer on top of it, kind of like any of the like various like secure testing softwares have that like, so you can't, you can't stream it. Right. It's like, if you try and do what I just said, it's like you just grab it, what's coming up on your screen off your video card. You can't do that. It's got a watermark on it right. or something like that. And that never has to call back home. It prevents me from making copies. So I can't go out and sell it, but you also then never take it away from me. Well, but you can also you can also rip the um, the copy. So like th this is the circular arguments they get into. Mm -hmm. I think that it is all a matter of philosophically believing that you are more important than someone having bread or air, and that's just never going to be good. You're not good if you believe that. If your thing that you have for entertainment is more important than some child being able to eat or their parents being able to provide for them, and you're not trying to find how to solve that solution, find solutions for that problem first, you have gone the wrong way, essentially. Sort of. I mean, you're 100% you're right in that argument, 100%. Like, no one else's comfort is more important than someone else's survival. Right. You know? But at the same time, I think that's taking the argument a bit too far of saying that, like, you know, Pixar wanting to be paid for their movie. You don't have to have that movie. If you can't afford to buy that movie, you cannot buy that movie. Now, what a lot of places do is what I really love about places like PBS is, you know, you boom, I'll get a free, um, you know, app for my daughter's little iPad. And there's like 30, 40 episodes of cartoons that are yeah, just free. Absolutely. And it streams for just free. And that's great. And, you know, people can make the argument, hey, if a streaming service is cheap enough, that makes it easier for people to consume media. It solves that problem. If you can't afford to pay $30 for every movie, you pay me five bucks a month. You can watch anything in the catalog. Where it falls apart for me, though, is when you do take that leap of, okay, I do like this enough that I want that $30 copy of it. That five years from now, maybe you don't have that copy anymore because of something completely outside of your control as the customer. Okay, so let me, let me throw something back in there. Mm -hmm. Let's put marketing in this equation. Marketing manipulates people to believe that they need something that they don't. I mean, and we're all subject to it. How many people buy Coke because of the marketing? Um, how many people are buy an iPhone just so that they have the blue check versus the green check? How many kids think that they need that? And how many kids are growing up? How many people are growing up to be adults that believe those things because they have been force-fed that since the day they were born, essentially, with the media they consume, the things that they're pressured into? We can see clearly in places where there aren't those sorts of pressure, you know, third world countries that don't have access to those things, where the people, when they're, you know, poor and they don't have like those sorts of things, they don't get exposed to that, or maybe they have some rumor of it and they think that it's something aspirational to get to. There is a responsibility by these companies to be ethical in those moments, is what I'm saying. So, like, yeah. Maybe I'm taking it to an ex uh, like a kind of extremist view there when I'm talking about like your digital purchase versus you feeding your child. If you're not if you're not treating it right, that's wrong. But if Bob Iger <laughs> is making executive decisions to fund marketing that manipulates children psychologically 
to believe that they need this, that's kind of where I'm going with that. Like that is wrong. And then on top of that, you're going to punish them when they go to extremes to get it. That's also wrong, right? Um, so taking physical media away is not just about you just getting to keep access to the thing that you want, right? Like you, you, you making people actually pay for it. You're like locking it down so that they have to like give you the money. You created the problem and now you're punishing people via a solution that you're creating essentially. Um, and I think that that's, there's some ethical impact there. Um, yeah, I mean, I can see that to a degree. I mean, also, marketing is probably the most ethical it's ever been currently. You should go look at how marketing was done. Oh, I agree. It, yeah. 100%. But, yeah. I th <laughs> frankly, I think that that is a little bit more of a societal issue than necessarily just saying it's a marketing problem. It's we've got a real problem as a society for a lot of the West, not all of the West, but definitely America. You know, you see it a lot in Europe and even Canada mm -hmm. of – there is a very large amount of value placed on having things. Right. Um, and not necessarily things that really matter. It kind mm -hmm. of hits in this, like, so many things are luxury statuses of, like, you have this type of clothing brand. You have this type of whatever. When really, when you, you sit down on it, mm -hmm. the value of clothing is, first, I'm warm. Right. You know, second, I look good. And at no real point in, in history, apart except for, you know, the last 100, 150 years, has a brand of something mattered. Right. You know, like the idea that the purse that's identical but isn't Gucci, the Gucci one is societally worth more because that is a status symbol is, I think, a real problem that we have mm -hmm. because it's it, – it, as a two-fold thing, like when you can have just identical products at different price points. You know, even for, even our food's a good example of that, where like name brand foods are often made in the same factories that non-brand food is. Right. It can be the exact same item, but because one has the brand on it, it is, it's worth more. And you're seen as, oh, you're buying the bad stuff, that's the cheap stuff, that's not as good, when they can be completely equal. We've, yes, we've gone away from the idea of I'm going to buy the best product in a lot of instances and now become I'm going to buy the right product. Right. And that's really the issue we have. And I think to a certain degree, that is one of the reasons why you do see so much piracy in media, because there is a right product. There's like this is the popular artist. This is the popular studio. Mm -hmm. But in a lot of those instances, there is not a readily available like a generic right you know there is no just as good as pixar but isn't pixar right because those things cost so much money to make and they hoard so much talent you know i was talking to um thomas about this and that one of the things you see in tech is that a lot of really big companies hoard uh, staff it's like yep. the reason some of these tech giants are so large is because it's not just about am I getting every cent of value out of the employee? It's that if I have this person who's pretty good, I need to make sure I keep them because they might go work for my competitor. Yeah, if I get rid of them, then I've opened up a market now for them to do the same creative thing they're doing here someplace else. else. And yeah. that becomes competition. That becomes me. competition. Yeah. You know, so I think, I think maybe that is really the direction I would 
I would try and take a solution is in America we have a lot of anti monopoly mm-hmm. you know stuff like that, but we don't really. It's too easy just to get a judge that maybe has some affiliation. What was that? Microsoft? Somebody recently got, um, they were denied in Europe, but got approved in the U.S. That's so, so there's a lot of different things, but Blizzard Activision being bought by Microsoft is one of those. Topics. That might have been the one I was thinking yeah. of. Yeah. It's where like Europe wasn't <clears throat> about it, but they were able to convince the U.S. to do it because like the judge involved is like related to one of the people. Yeah, the, there's like, some oh, there, there's nepotism some, there. Yeah, one of their children works at one of those companies yeah, or something, something like, like that. that. Was the was the claim of nepotism, and you know, so they're still they still won't be joined in Europe. We'll be joined in the U.S. Yeah, and I, I think it's stuff like that that's really where we're hurting ourselves. Yeah, because if there wasn't two major brands of cola, it's either Coke or Pepsi, and then everything else, and there were eight brands that everyone agreed are all pretty good. You probably wouldn't have that issue that people feel like, oh man, if I don't buy Coke, I'm buying the cheap stuff, because yeah. there's a recognized alternatives. So I, I I do see that perspective, and I know that I was being a little bit like you know outrageous extremist. Uh, extremist is probably the wrong wrong word, but you know like someone who's like making a very outrageous kind of argument about like you know bread versus media. I, I, there is more nuance to that, and I I get what you're saying there. I mean I, I completely agree with it. As mm-hmm. a matter of fact, I just there, there is also a component of ethics. Is the, no, to the you're point right that I'm because you can't easily acquire social status. Right, right. Like if you think, okay, how did someone rise up in society two, three hundred years ago? It was around profession, which was generally a lot, mm-hmm. a lot of hard work. You know, there was there was certainly like birth lines and stuff like mm-hmm. that associated with it, of course. But, like, we've gotten ourselves into this situation where it's like, if you show up to, especially for children, you show up to school and you're in the Walmart brands and the other kids are in the fancy brands. Yeah. You feel bad. Right. If you show up and your car is not the fancy car, it's the, you know, just regular sedan, people feel bad about that. Yep. Because we've sold people on this idea that they can buy inclusion. Mm-hmm. And that's the real core of the issue. And yeah, no, I don't think you can blame someone for saying, hey, I maybe went to some extremes I would not normally have gone to get X item because I felt like I would be more accepted if I had it. Right. Because humans are just social creatures. I mean, as far back as our history we have, yeah. is it's all about society and where you fit into it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, from that from that angle, when it's not the like, maybe I'm doing something wrong because I just feel like if I did this thing that was wrong maybe things would be right. You know, I think that's a much more sympathetic approach and is, I think, really the crux of the issue. Yeah, I, it it is the crux of the issue. It's also, like, there there are some components in there where we, like, so carbon credits. Just mm-hmm. slight, I'm, I'm moving on to a different example because it's not tied to us talking about media, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, or like something that's not like necessary. We can all agree that taking care of the world that we live in, which is the only one that supports our life that we know of right mm-hmm. now, is kind of important. Um, so carbon credits that companies get oftentimes are not indicative of them actually being greener in process. And there's plenty of studies that are out there that show that they can buy these carbon credits or they can get on get these carbon credits for doing things that have no significant impact to 
environmental sustainability. Yeah, there's a lot of lip service. There's also a lot of shifting blame. Right. So, like, the, I think a good example of that is a lot of companies that used to have some manufacturing and then outsource the rest. They're then incentivized just to outsource everything. Right. Because when you can say, okay, I, my company specifically me, was, you know, producing something in a not very environmentally friendly way, that's a larger chunk of my kind of environmental score than if I just take these same products that I was manufacturing myself, move them to a third party. Well, the third party's not doing any better, but that's a less of a percentage of my score. That's a good you example. Know, there's, exactly. I, I, again, I think this is, this is a problem of people gaming systems. Yeah. Where it's like, we're going to take a good idea is that the more environmentally friendly you are, we'll, we'll you know, give you some sort of credits or some other thing to incentivize you to do that. And you then get the bean counters in there to find the most efficient way to do it. Yep. And anyone who's listened to this podcast enough to know how I play video games, that never works out. <laughs> I always find a way to break a video game or yep. do some weird thing that it's not supposed to do. And those things are very well thought out. You just can't be, I mean, that's the whole concept of cybersecurity. Yeah. Is that like a group of people who are thinking about ways to do things well, are always at odds with people trying to think of things, how to do things that are bad. Bad, yeah. And it's a constant race. Yes. And at a certain point, things like environmental safety shouldn't be an endless race of people trying to do good, being bad, battling people trying to do, do bad. bad. Yep. You know, it's. I'm not saying we need to adopt draconian laws for those things, but at a certain level we litigate ourselves into disadvantages positions. Yeah. Like there, I think there does come a point in the same thing with like our tax code. Our tax code is incredibly needlessly complicated because of all the lobbying on it and things like that. Like if you could just cut it and say, look, we're going to make a simple system mm -hmm. that is now simple enough. It can't really easily be exploited. That's kind of better than maybe a highly thought out system that in theory could work out better. But there's so much room for some for bad actors to come in and find ways around right. it. Right. You eliminate the the ambiguity and the the loopholes, and then yep. you you essentially, you know, create more problems when you make it more complex. Mm -hmm. Simple and elegant will always outwin complex when it can can be implemented. You know, yeah, I mean, if your complex solution can be exploited, yeah, you're probably better off with the simple one. Yeah. Now, complex is great when it's not something that can be exploited or it's not easy to exploit. But, yeah, there's there's something to be said about maybe instead of having entire departments of companies dedicated to environmental impact, if we could come up with a system that's like, oh, yeah, that's a, here's your you know yearly company briefing yep. on how the this works and good job, everyone. And then that's it. Yeah. You know, when you when it can become someone's job to try and extract the most credits out of the system that's my first red flag that something's not working right right yeah so so that but that goes back to the whole media talk mm -hmm. just to bring it back that basically we treat media like especially things where we say we own something mm -hmm. but we don't really own it and we treat it like it's so important it's up here right mm -hmm. like people there are people who kind of believe that in order to have whatever they have to have you know social status they have to yep. they have to have these things whether it's you know a good tiktok account a thing like this or whatever and then there are people who want to own that and want to make it so that you have to pay them to be able to have this 
uh, media, on the other hand. And while I agree they should get paid for it if they created it, a lot of the people that are getting paid for it or making decisions about that media didn't actually create it. There are people that are like executives or whatever who are just like, what, how can we extract the most money? Just like you have a whole group of people that try to extract the most carbon credits out of, mm. out of something. So it's a system that we've created that's very non-beneficial for the people that actually are the, the most, that get the most out of this thing. Yeah. You know, the people that actually can consume it and it helps them to improve their life in some way. It gives them entertainment. It gives them stress relief. It gives them information, you know, stuff like that. Whether that, inf you know, arguing whether or not in, in information that you get from that is entertainment versus education, different topic, <laughs> you know. But, but at, I think ethically, if you're a person who's put, positioned yourself in a place to put that at such a high level of importance in people's lives, you also have an ethical responsibility to make sure you're doing it so you don't cause harm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and... You know, without like running, like recircling back through things, mm -hmm. that's kind of where I was going with the carbon credit thing, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. I just I babbled on for like <laughs> thirty minutes. I think it was a good talk. <laughs> oh yeah, as well. I, I love it when we get on these things because I know that we disagree on some of these topics, but we both agree if you aren't treating people well, you're not doing the right thing. Yeah. So ultimately, you know, like we we're like, okay, yeah, like maybe slightly different ideas about how we could solve that problem, but we both know that the solution has to fit in this mm -hmm. thing right here. Where yeah, you're at the end of the day, you well. got to be kind to people. Right, exactly. Um, so, anyways, do you have anything else you want to say about that? No, I think that's good. All right, so this was Season 6, Episode 14 of the Beer and Broadband Podcast, slated to come out on October 9th, 2023. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time.